Well, good morning. I am Rob, and I'm so glad that you're here today. Our reading that we'll start with is from Hebrews 11, 8 through 16. Hebrews 11 says, By faith, Abraham, when called to go to a place he would later receive as an inheritance, he obeyed and went, even though he did not know where he was going. By faith, he made his home in the promised land like a stranger in a foreign country. He lived in tents for a long time. That's not there. He lived in tents, as did Isaac and Jacob, who were heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to a city who had its city, uh, a city with foundations, whose architect and builder is God. And by faith, even Sarah, who was past childbearing age, was enabled to bear children because she considered him faithful, who had made the promise. And so from one man, and he as good as dead, came descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as countless as the sand on the seashore. All these people were still living by faith when they died. They did not receive the things they had been promised. They only saw them from a distance and welcomed them. They were strangers, admitting they were foreigners and strangers on earth. People who say such things show that they are looking for a country of their own. If they had been thinking of a country they had left, then they would have had the opportunity to return. And instead, they were longing for a better country, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. Well, it was a few years ago now. It was when paddleboarding was the rage. And our family arrived at camp to find six pristine paddleboards just begging to be pulled off the racks and placed into the cool, calm water. And so I looked at one of the lifeguards and I'm like, yes, can we do this? And, and they said, oh yeah, that's why they're there. So we started taking them off the rack. I placed four down by the, the beach and the lifeguard started to explain what the, you know, the essence of paddleboarding is. So I'll break it down for you. It's pretty easy. You stand on the board sort of in the middle and balance your weight sort of in the middle and then you paddle like you would imagine paddling to go. That's pretty much the explanation they gave us. And so I'm like, all right, who's ready to go? Staring at each person in my family. In less than five seconds, my middleist says, okay, I'm going. And she plunges down into the knee-deep water. I got permission to tell the story, don't worry. And, and she plunges down into the water, and the lifeguard you know, recommends that she kneel first before she paddles. And so she hops up on that paddleboard, and she goes. In less than one minute, she has decided to stand up. She has passed Sailboat Bay or Point or whatever, where the sunfish are. She's out beyond the docks, and she's now circled back and says, come on, guys, let's go. It's so fun. I know, there's just glee on her face. Well, I turn and look at my other people in my family, and I know my wife has a past because she had back surgery a little before this. And so I'm staring at the other two kids, and my wife is actually watching them. I get emotional about this because my wife has always been a student of her kids. Every day she asks God for eyes to see them as he made them to be and to discover their personalities and actually their personhood. So as I'm watching or as I'm looking, she's watching 
And she's looking at the youngest one, concentrating ever so intently at his sister, who's actually out there on the paddleboard. He is staring at what she's doing, how she's balancing, what the waves are doing. And I think there's some calculations that are going through his mind, these risk and reward calculations. And probably they go something like, what are the percentages that I will be able to do this? Because that's the kind of kid we're discovering him to be. Now, our oldest, she's watching fairly intently too, but she's also asking lots and lots of questions. Like, is it scary out there? How tippy are the boards? And then she's, she's asking the lifeguard. So how many people fall off these every day? And, uh, you know, what, 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 there's, there's questions that are going through her mind, but she's doing her risk and reward calculations more on the fact that what are the chances of me looking good or the chances of me looking foolish? I'll let you figure out who she got that from. So how many of you, question, how many of you really like to get all the questions answered before you try something new? And how about people who it's so easy to try new things? It's just so easy. Yeah. See, I won't actually tell you whether the rest of us went, because the point really isn't about paddleboarding. All right, I guess I will. Uh, but the point really isn't about paddleboarding. The point is really about this idea of uncommon vision, being able to see something before the circumstances actually show it. This is something that's gone all through the Bible, and if you're new or you missed the last couple Sundays, we just started a teaching series about what it means to be uncommon, to live a risky but rewarding life of faith that can actually influence people for generations and generations and generations. And we started by looking at the first three heroes of faith in Hebrews 11. And we saw how their giving, their living, and their serving was all a little unique, but each one of them, their big risky faith, just started from small steps of trust. Last week, Pastor Greg challenged us to an uncommon generosity, seeing the hurting people that are in our life. They're probably right before us. Maybe they're they're too weak, they're too scared, they're too proud, they're too humble, or they've been too dismissed to say anything. But nonetheless, they are right before us. And we probably have the means and the resources to help them. And one person can't do everything, but we could all do something. And so this week, this week we're looking at what it means to have uncommon vision. If you're a person of faith, it's to see as God sees. And, and regardless of the faith that you, you live or believe, uncommon vision is about seeing something before it happens, before the circumstances demonstrate. It's about believing that God sees things that we can't see, and yet we can choose to live into them. And when we choose to live into them, we actually find out that those things are true. They are coming true. And so there's a challenge to this uncommon vision, and there's an invitation to an uncommon vision. But it's really what God looks for and desires for each of us. And we see it the first time in Hebrews 11 here with Abraham. Well, actually, we see it one of the first times in Genesis 12. So if you have a Bible, you'll want to turn there. We'll be in Genesis 12, a tiny little bit of 13. 
This is where this vision starts. Genesis 12 says, The Lord said to Abram, Go from your country, your people, and your father's household, and go to the land I will show you. I will make your name great. I will, make, I will bless you. I will make you into a great nation, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all the people of the world will be blessed through you. So Abraham went as God had told him, and Lot went with him. Abraham was 75 years old when he set out from Haran. He took his wife Sarai, his nephew Lot, and all the possessions they had accumulated and all the servants they had acquired when they were in Haran, and they set out for the land of Canaan, and they arrived there. Don't you wish road trips happened like that? They set out for the land of Canaan, and they arrived there. It really wasn't that fast, but spiritually, sometimes it is. When you decide to leave, then you're there. Abraham traveled through the land as far as the great site of Morah and Shechem. At the time, the Canaanites were in the land, and the Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your offspring, I will give this land. So he built an altar there to the Lord who had appeared to him. You know, when this call by God is given, he talks about being a great nation. He talks about his name being great. He talks about him being a blessing to the world. He doesn't actually talk about the land. But yet when he arrives in this place that God would show him, an unknown place, then he brings up the land. Because sometimes we don't actually see things until we get there. And yet, we're called to go, or at least Abram is called to go, before he knows. So if you've grown up in church, I'm guessing you've heard of Abraham or Sarah. If you haven't grown up in church, Abraham and Sarah are a pretty big deal. They're pretty significant in the Bible. In fact, Hebrews 11 gives them a large chunk of scripture. And so I always thought that, oh, if they're significant, they must be special. And I think one of the first challenges to this idea of uncommon vision is that only special people get vision. And you can go to leadership conferences and read books, and they will say that special people have vision that the leaders have vision, that the vision is the picture of the preferred future, and you have to know where you're going, and if you don't know where you're going, then you're just taking a walk. And so this gives us this challenge, this block. We think, wait, if I don't know, if I can't see it, then how can I live into this? I mean, part of Abraham and Sarah actually believing and receiving this bless blessing required them to leave what they knew, and go to a place that God would show them, that would be revealed. But they didn't know where it was. In fact, Hebrews actually says, they, he went without knowing where he was going. He's not the person that's going to be invited to a leadership conference on vision, because he wouldn't fit the definition. But it gets even stranger, because if you were to look before Genesis 12, you find one little line about Abram, who his father was and where he came from. That's all we know about him. It's, he's one of the most significant people in the Bible, and yet we know almost nothing. If Abraham were a book, if he were the main character of a book, I would say we'd stop reading it. If he was a movie, we might walk out 
it was on Netflix, we'd certainly shut it off. Because there's nothing actually unique or successful or special about him in any way. It's not like the Bible says anything about having, him having extraordinary wisdom. Any outward attractiveness, no physical strength. He's actually more like an anti-hero than a hero. It's almost as if God said, I'm going to find the most ordinary human being and choose him or her. And by the way, he's 75 years old. I don't quite know what that feels like yet, but it's not usually the time people start new things. They don't make new beginnings at 75. This, this going out and leaving is not something you would do. I mean, there's, there's not like he can look up on Google Maps and see where he's going. It's not like he can creep on someone's story or timeline and, and look at their pictures to try and discover it. He has no idea other than God said to go. And I think the invitation, because challenge, invitation. I think one of the first invitations to uncommon vision is, do I believe that God calls ordinary people out of their ordinary places to be blessed by God just because he wants to, to bless the world. So if you're nine, do I believe that God could call me to bless me so that I could be a blessing to the world? If I'm single, do I believe that God could call me to be a blessing to the world? If I'm divorced, do I believe that God could call me if I have no ordinary, uh, no unbelievable wisdom, do I believe that God can call me? This story would say yes, yes, absolutely. It's this call to bring healing, hope, restoration. It's why we started the church. And, and he has this divine encounter, this Abram, Abraham guy, and it's a challenge, it's a challenging invitation. First, he says to go from your country. That would be the place that your surroundings, the things that you're comfortable with. And go from your people, the community that you're comfortable with, that you're known at, probably a lot of people that are like you. To go from your father's household, which not only is your family, but it's also your personal identity. And because they didn't have banks, if you're a kid, you get this. Then your family's the bank. Mom, can I have money for that? Like this, this is his financial security. He's called to leave all that to go for something that's unknown. So, especially on an intergenerational Sunday where we have different ages of people all around, we think the symphony, that's all of you, is better than the solo. That's me. So, if you're 12 and under, I need, I need your help. All right, I got one 12 and under looking at me, maybe two. So I want you to think of a place that's familiar. And then I want you to think, uh, tell me what that place feels like. One or two words, tell me the place and what it feels like. You can just shout it out. Comfortable. Home. Comfortable. What else? Happy. What's the place? 
You don't have to tell us if you don't want to. You want to? No. Happy. That's right. Name the place or what it feels like. Hockey rink, cold. Do you like being there? You do like being there because you like the cold? All right. Bed. Why? Warm. Mm. I, you're amen, sister. Amen. All right, now, same group of people. Don't worry, 12 and over, we'll get to you in a minute. Um, now think of a place that's unfamiliar. Somewhere like, you know, just a little bit. What does that feel like? Uncomfortable. You have one? No? Okay, 12 and over. Yes, 12-year-olds get to go twice. They get to decide. What's it like to leave a place you know and go to a place that's unknown? Scary. Scary. Weird. Weird. Overwhelming. What? Exciting. Adventurous. Awkward. Unsettling. Ooh. Ooh, good word. Discombobulating. Yes. What was that? Right. How many six-syllable words or more did you use today? Just one. I think it's another challenge to this uncommon vision. To see like God sees, you can't just go find it. It says that God will show it to you. As much as we might want to see as God sees, it's not like we can just go find some place or some thing that will show us how to see like God sees. We can only receive it from God. He, he wants to reveal it, but we can't go find it. That's one of the challenges. And it almost requires us to leave something so that God can cause us to see it. It's certainly in the story of Abraham, but it's also throughout the Bible. So we have to be willing to go somewhere without knowing how it will turn out. I wonder, I mean, because it's not like Abraham and Sarah are really special people. I mean, all of all the significant people of the Bible, we get something of their childhood, some backstory. Not only does Abraham not have any children, we, he doesn't have a childhood. Think about it. We pick up this story when he's 75 years old. Hebrews eloquently says he's as good as dead. We should respect our elders, but that's what it says. I think this is an invitation to not only be ordinary, but to know that God wants us to experience him like Abraham and Sarah experience him. And so I wonder how many times we miss the opportunity to be Abraham and Sarah, to miss the opportunity to be people of restoration, to be blessed, to be a blessing, because we can't live with the unanswered questions. 
I wonder what it's like over there. I wonder if I can be successful over there. I wonder if the things that I dream about and the things that I want to see in myself and in the world can, can happen over there. I wonder if I'll have what I need over there. And yet, I do believe that God calls us to go to our over theirs. Abraham has to leave something to go there. Might it be true that God is calling you and me and us to leave something in order to see like he sees? Just ask the Holy Spirit that right now, because I know one of mine was to start this church. And I waited for two years because I wanted so many questions answered that God just lovingly wasn't going to answer until I stepped out. For you, it could be a job. You could be sitting in a place that's comfortable, that you, 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 you're doing something that's good, but it's not the fullness of who you are. You know that you could offer more, but yet jumping is scary, leaving is hard, and so you stay you stay. It could be a friendship or a teammate or a coworker. It's a relationship that's, that's okay, but when you're around that person, you really don't feel like yourself, like the person that God created you to be, and you're wondering if I should step away from that because who else will be there? It could be starting and seeing yourself in a new place after a significant life change. Can I really be there and be okay? Could be, could be a dream. Next week, Jacob Sturgis is going to come and talk with me up here, and we're going to talk about standing with the orphans because Jacob has this dream of churches, not of all around the world, but especially in America, joining with and standing with orphans around the world, joining the plight of the orphan, not just around the world, but here too. And I think that invitation isn't just to leave, it's also to cross over. That's what Abraham the Hebrew means. To be Hebrew means one who crosses over. Abraham and Sarah physically cross over. They leave this place called Ur, they end up in this halfway place called Haran, and then they leave from there and they go to the promised land of Canaan. It's physical, but it's also spiritual. Jesus calls us from death to life. He says, go, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father except through me. We must be called to cross over. But there's also all these little mini crossovers in our lives. And to be one who crosses over means that I've got to accept being in process while I'm making progress. Because as much as we'd like to think this is the end of the story, it's really just the beginning of the story. Abraham and Sarah go, they go to the place that God would show them, and when they're there, they're like, oh, it's great, and we think things are going well, and all of a sudden there's a famine in the land, there's not enough food. But it's never really just about food. It's this question, when there's famine in the Bible, it's this question of, do I have what I need in my present circumstance? And God, I think, is inviting Abraham and Sarah, who are Abram and Sarai at this point, to ask God, do I have what I need? Do I trust him? Will I see as he sees? And it's not just an invitation for him, it's an invitation for us in my present 
situation can I see as God sees? It's not a test, it's an invitation. God wants us to see that. And then as they go to Egypt, because they don't think there's enough food, there's not enough where they're at, so they go to Egypt, which is not good for God's people. Abraham says, it's in Genesis 13, uh, what, it's in Genesis 12. When we get there, um, they're going to see what a really attractive 65-year-old you are. Woo! And they're going to say, uh, that's her husband. Let's kill him so we can have her. So you say that you're my sister. Because then they'll, they'll spare me. In fact, my life might go well. Except, anybody remember what the problem with that would be? If Abraham and Sarah are brother and sister instead of husband and wife, what did God tell them back in, when we started? What was that? Yeah, brothers and sisters don't have babies. There you go, parents. That's my public service announcement. Brothers and sisters don't do that. They don't do that. No. So how can God's future come forth? What is that saying about God's promise? But again, God's not keeping a checklist. He's inviting them to see their future as God sees their future. It's not only this invitation for God's presence, it's this invitation for God's future in our lives to see as he sees. And, and, and God brings them through. They're making progress. They're learning how to trust him because the next story, when they come back from Egypt and they go back to the land... Lot and his servants in Genesis 13 are fighting and with Abraham's servants because the land can't support them. Now, Abraham says, even though I'm older, you pick Lot, you pick the land. He's learning, he's making progress. He's learning that God's going to take care of him, that if you take the land on the left, I'll take the land on the right, that if you pick the land on the right, then I'll pick the land on the left. Now, Lot is his nephew, and God told him to leave his father's family. Bring your wife, leave your family. So Lot wasn't supposed to come. He was supposed to leave Lot. Trust that God had a plan for Lot, that God wants good for Lot, but that he would be okay with his father and his other brother in Haran. But he brings him. Because I think that he is still learning. Lot looks at the land and inspects it all and chooses the land to the east that is well watered. It says it looks like the Garden of Eden or maybe like Egypt, which is not good. You don't want to compare the Garden of God to the land of Egypt. That's a whole other story for another day. But that's how Lot sees. I'm going to look at what's there physically and I'm going to take the best for myself. You can't see like God wants you to see if that's who you're looking with. It says actually after he separates from Lot, then he lifts his eyes to God, then God shows him that future. Because Lot saw in a way that wasn't helpful. But I think it goes even deeper than that because Abram's name means exalted father. And for 75 or 80 or 85 years, he's had no children. What's it like to feel invalidated for your whole life? Every time someone sees you, hey, I'm exalted father. Oh, tell me about your family. 
when he brings Lot, because his dad died, he's validated. He can say, this is, this is my nephew. I am exalted father. And, and yet, even in that, God wants to change the way that Abraham sees himself. This invitation to this uncommon vision is to see as God sees about my present situation, to see as God sees about my future situation, and to see as God sees about even who I am. And it's not just for him, it's for us. And God changes his name. He says, you'll no longer be called Abram, exalted father. Now you'll be called Abraham, the father of nations, because nations will come from you. I have something beyond your wildest dreams. Not just a son or daughter, but a people who will bring blessing into the world. What we learn from Abraham and Sarah is that crossing over is a process. And that it's okay to be in process. Abraham and Sarah were on the way with God, and that was okay with God. It's okay for you and I to be on the way with God. It's okay with God. You can be on the way in your finances. It's okay with God. You can be on your way in your marriage. It's okay with God. You can be on your way in your divorced life after marriage. It's okay with God. You can be on the way in your faith. It's okay with God. You can be on the way with your parenting. It's okay with God. You can be on the way in your friendships. It's okay with God because he is making progress as you are in progress, in process. But it starts with asking God, what do I need to leave? What is hindering me from seeing as God sees? And do I trust that he'll make a way? That's what it means when Hebrews says, they saw it at a distance and they welcomed it. And they lived in tents. They lived in temporary housing they lived in this temporary place. It may not have been always fun, and yet these are the people who God uses to bless the world. Ordinary, simple people. This is who God is calling us to be. This is who he's inviting restoration to be. Jack said it before. We're like, we're making these changes. Yep, because that's what people on the way do. They make adjustments They see where God is, and then they move. They make a change, and it works, so they have to make another change. And then maybe they make a change, and it doesn't work, so they have to make a different change. But that's who people that are on the way are. They take risks in their faith. They go across the room, and they meet somebody who's new. They go across the hall or the neighborhood, or they go across in their work, and they make a difference because that's what people on the way do, and that's who we're called to be. That's who restoration is. That's what I dreamed about seven years ago. And guess what? That's actually what we're working towards. That's actually the church that I want to be a part of and I want you to be a part of because on the way is okay. So what do you need to leave? Grab your connection card if you would. The band's going to come up. We're going to receive our offering as well which we learn actually from 
Abraham, but I don't want to go there too quick because there might be in that next steps or in process part. You can put your name on if you want, but you don't have to. It's not really about that. It's giving you an opportunity to say, God, is there something I need to leave? Ask God. For me, one of those things was I need to be okay with not knowing if I'll be good at it. I asked. We can do this. We can be done. I asked my daughter, why is it so easy for you to try new things? Why was paddleboarding so easy? She's like, I don't know. I just do it. I just could see how it worked and see myself as a paddleboarder. Kind of my interpretation of what she said. She didn't have any of the fears of well, if I do it bad, then it's not paddleboarding. Or if I fall off, then I'll look, you know, foolish. She saw trying it as doing it. That's what being on the way is. It's one thing that I needed to leave because I'm still in process too. So what about you? If you would write that down on the connection card, like Jack said, the offering bags will come by in a moment and you can put that in there. I do want to invite you to participate in offering. It started with Abraham. Well, it started with Abel when he offered his first and best a couple weeks ago, but Abraham picks up this, this idea of offering when he returned from a victory and a priest of God first priest of God that's mentioned in the Bible, Melchizedek, the high priest of God, blessed Abraham, saying, Blessed be Abram, God most high, creator of heaven and earth, and praise be to God most high, who delivers you from your enemies. And then Abraham gave him a tenth of everything. A tenth is where we get the word tithe. It happened before the law. It happened after the law. But Abraham's heart was touched by God, and he gave generously. Now, I would say that 10% is not magical. In fact, in the Bible, it's probably more of a starting point than a goal. But I know for some people that that's just hard to fathom. So the point is that when we do receive that touch of God, that we're generous people, that we leave things that we don't need to go to where we go, that we give things that we know are God's, trusting that he'll care for us, And when we do it, we receive his smile and his blessing. So I invite you to participate. If you don't have cash or checkbook, you can go on your phone or online to our giving page and you can give there. Our ushers will come forward in a moment. Would you pray with me? God, I thank you that you are the one who makes the great crossover. That you left heaven and you came to earth. That you put yourself in the image of a man and not just a man, a servant. Who lived and served and taught and gave and gave his life so that we could be restored with you. 
I pray, God, that we would receive that great crossover if we've never seen ourselves as one of your children, one of your men or women, no matter how ordinary or special we are, God, you gave your life so that we could have life with you. May our heart be touched by God. May we leave what we need to leave. May we give generously to you and your kingdom. You're still making a way. Help us to see as you see, God. Give us that uncommon vision.